Mark Stein Show. And now, here's Mark. Happy Labor Day to our American and Canadian listeners. L-A-B-O-R, if you're south of the border, if you're north, L-A-B-O-U-R. That's what the day used to be about, putting the U in labor. You can't spell labor without you, and without you and your labor, this planet would be a primitive state of nature, red in tooth and claw. Consider the words of Peter J. Maguire, General Secretary of the Brotherhood of Carpenters and Joiners, proposing the very first Labor Day in 1882. The new day would be an occasion, he said, to honor those who from rude nature have delved and carved all the grandeur we behold. What a crazy, all the grandeur we behold comes from man and his work. What fossil fuel is that guy inhaling? Today, rude nature is the state we aspire to, and you can't even delve and carve a keystone pipeline underneath it out of sight. Labour itself, in the sense Mr. Maguire used the term, is morally dubious among our elites and down at the other end increasingly conditional. Since March 2020, March 2020, uh, that's a long time ago now. Uh, But since March 2020, hundreds of millions of freeborn citizens around the world have meekly accepted that they can labor only upon the say-so of the state, which has the right to fine them and indeed jail them if they do not comply with arbitrary and constantly shifting provisions, such as examining the health records of diners in your restaurant. The labor markets I know best, my own state of New Hampshire and its neighbor Vermont across the Connecticut River, are two of the least afflicted by lockdown, except, except that many thousands of persons in these here hills have never returned to work. They did low-paying service jobs, and they discovered that they didn't miss them when the government was offering you a modest stipend to stay home and watch Netflix or do meth or however you prefer to pass the time. So we have a tight labor market. The gas station and convenience store closes at 5 p.m., because there are no staff available for an evening shift. The owner of the sandwich joint takes a week's vacation and closes down the place because there are no staff to run it in his absence. Uh, For some, labor is now conducted via Zoom. For others, labor has vanished more totally. Two decades ago, I wrote in the National Post of Canada that the transformation of Labor Day from a celebration of workers' solidarity to a cookout is the perfect precy of the history of Anglo-American capitalism. The state has now taken it to the next level. The cookout is either forbidden or regulated by government with respect to attendance, medical protocols and dress codes. Your freedom of movement is tightly circumscribed, reduced in parts of Australia to a limited list of government-permitted reasons to leave the house and then only within your five-kilometre bubble. 
What comes after the Labor Day cookout? The net effect of COVID has been a massive transfer of the economy from small local businesses to Amazon and Apple, and the recategorization of almost all mom and pop enterprises as non essential, and almost all workers as non essential. Labor Day is an appropriate occasion on which to reflect upon the dignity of work. And self sufficiency and its indispensability to a civilized society. There may be something down the pike that can replace it, but on the evidence so far welfare, minimum wage service jobs, lockdown, looting, heroin, and meth aren't it. Mark Stein's Poem of the Week. Labor Day weekend in North America. There are a lot of poems that attempt to convey. The soul crushing, back breaking burden of labour. But as fewer and fewer of us do that kind of work, and in fact, since the dawn of the COVID, millions and millions of us have been prevented from doing any kind of sustained work,、uh, I thought I'd pick something that considers the subject more philosophically. Indeed, in this poem, labour is the answer to the most fundamental question why are we here? It's by Elizabeth Barrett Browning,、uh, back before she married Robert Browning. And in fact, this was one of the poems in a collection by Elizabeth that enthralled Browning and persuaded him to send her a fan letter, as a result of which they met and fell in love and wed. God did anoint thee, says Elizabeth Barrett, to wrestle, not to reign. By which one understands not just that man is here to work, but also to struggle at his work, to wrestle. And whether you agree with that or not, historically we have understood that work is what gives life dignity and purpose. And in the world we are moving into very rapidly, in which there will be no work, and thus not a lot of dignity or purpose, there will also be no struggle. As the titans of Apple and Amazon are keen that the formerly working class should receive a living wage and thus be able to divert themselves with all the shiny new toys Apple and Amazon will make for us. And、uh, if you can't afford Apple and Amazon, there's always. Heroin and opioids. The future, Mrs. Browning took a different view. First published in December 1842 in Graham's Magazine by Elizabeth Barrett Barrett, as then was, a sonnet on work. What are we set on earth for? Say to toil, nor seek to leave thy tending of the vines for all the heat of the day till it declines, and death's mild curfew shall from work assoil. God did anoint thee with his odorous oil to wrestle, not to reign, and he assigns all thy tears over like pure crystallines. For younger fellow workers of the soil to wear for amulets, so others shall take patience, labour, to their heart and hand, from thy hand and thy heart, and thy brave chair, and God's grace fructify through thee to all. The least flower with a brimming cup may stand, and share its dewdrop. With another near, a poem from me to you.
by Elizabeth Barrett Browning called Simply Work. The Barrett family had a lot of plantation income from Jamaica, uh, but on the other hand, Elizabeth herself was an ardent and outspoken abolitionist all her life. Whether that will suffice when the mob comes to cancel her, we shall see. And if you were in the mood for something a little more sweating and straining, uh, we shall have that for you upcoming in our Song of the Week. Keep up to date with the past on the 100 Years Ago Show with Mark Stein. Hope, perhaps, in a mining disaster. Bigamists and bakers. And break the news to mother. It's Labor Day 1922. A hundred years from today. On this Labor Day, 46 laborers are trapped underground and tombed for over a week in the Argonaut Mine in Jackson, California. Hope had faded in recent days, but on what for other Americans is a carefree holiday, today's rescue party had dutifully descended to the perimeter of their comrades' rock-encased prison. They fired two signal blasts, convinced there was no one alive to hear them. After the blast, they waited and waited, and then they heard five muffled but distinct reports. When they returned to the surface to report what they had heard, the town went wild. It is a sliver of good news, but it is estimated that it will still take three days to reach the trapped men. Suddenly waiting for the sunrise this Labor Day of 1922, the usual parades have taken place in North America's great cities. In Boston, although a steady downpour drenched the marches, a large American flag carried by a dozen strikers from the Railroad Shopcrafts Union gathered a considerable number of coins thrown by spectators along the route, to the point where the flag had to be emptied of its bounty multiple times. In Montreal, over 30,000 men turned out for what is said to be the biggest Labor Day parade in the city's history, in which for the first time the marchers paraded as federations of various trades. Speaking today in Moose Heart, Illinois, the U.S. Labor Secretary James Davis hailed American labor and the great strides it had made in the past year. In spite of unemployment, there had been no decrease in wage levels. Working men, grown accustomed to comforts in life not tasted before, he added, will now find them preserved throughout the future. However, Mr. Davis 
excoriated those strikers who turned to violence, declaring, quote, no gibbet can be built too high for those who execute such dastardly deeds as the deliberate wrecking of a train, as happened recently at Gary, Indiana. His Canadian colleague, Labour Minister uh, James Murdoch, opening the annual fair of the Belleville Agricultural Society in Ontario, has condemned the radicals in the ranks of Labour and said that they could cost the working man what it has taken years of struggle to receive. At the Canadian National Exhibition in Toronto, Bert Merson, president of the District Trades Council, told the crowds that the workers of Canada would not support revolution, but rather would achieve all their goals by other means. A visiting Labour Party member from England, William Carter, MP for Nottingham, was given a less sympathetic hearing. Hardly had he begun to speak then large numbers of spectators jeered at him to sit down, whether this was because of the political nature of his remarks or because the attendees had been enjoying the music of the band of the West India Regiment was unclear. Jacob Cohen, editor and publisher of the Labour Review in Memphis, Tennessee, wrote a scathing editorial denouncing strikebreakers. Mr. Cohen called the anti-union men, quote, dirty scabs, snakes and traitors. It was certainly vituperative, but is it a crime? The United States Attorney, S. Eugene Murray, says it is in breach of the federal injunction granted to the railroads, and the editor has been arrested. The federal injunction is not popular and many labor unions have held meetings to consider calls for a general strike. The International Plasterers Union has voted to raise $100,000 in support of such strikers. The Postmaster General Hubert Work says the US Post Office will oppose what he calls radicalism and protect its loyal employees from agitators advancing political theories that the government owes them a living. Johnny O'Connor bought an automobile. He took his sweetheart for a ride one Sunday. Johnny was togged up in his best Sunday clothes. She nestled close to his side. Things went just dandy till he got down the road. Then something happened to the old machinery. That engine got his goat, off went his hat and coat. Everything needed repairs. He'd have to get under, get out and get under to fix his little machine. He was just dying to cuddle his queen. But every minute, when he'd begin it, he'd have to get under, get out and get under. Then he'd get back at the wheel. A dozen times they'd start to hug and kiss, and then the darned old engine, it would miss. And then he'd have to get under, get out and get under, and fix up his automobile. Henry Ford has got out from under and fixed up his automobile company. A year ago, the Ford Motor Company was in the worst plight in its history, and Wall Street bankers were offering him loans, but with conditions, including that they be permitted to appoint the company's treasurer and have a say in the management of the enterprise. Mr. Ford decided to 
say no, and to rebuild the company's finances by himself, he appears to have succeeded. He says he now has $160 million cash in hand, although he concedes that he can't really tell to within $15 million, which is a nice problem to have this Labor Day. Hello, Central. Give me no man's land. My daddy's there. My mama told me. Colonel Belton, former chief medical advisor to Canada's Board of Pension Advisors and now medical examiner for Toronto, told the Royal Commission in Ottawa that he was astounded that the widow of his late friend, Lieutenant Colonel Butcher, should have been denied a pension and that this was without doubt a misinterpretation of the law and a terrible injustice to the memory of brave soldiers of the king. Despite the shopmen's strike, the railroads have seen only relatively minor delays in what was reported to be the heaviest Labor Day traffic of all time in America. North of the border, the Canadian National Exhibition in Toronto is reporting record Labor Day attendance. 190,000 people have passed through the turnstiles. By the sea, by the beautiful sea, you and I, you and I, oh how happy we'll be, when each wave comes a rolling in, we will duck or swim, and we'll float and fool around the water, over and under, Far is rich, my is rich, so now what do we care? By the beautiful sea is the place to be on Labor Day at Atlantic City, New Jersey. Officials reported record crowds at the beach, no less than a quarter of a million bathers in attendance. Theodore Bell was born in California, was elected to Congress, and was twice a Democrat candidate for governor. He clashed with former presidential nominee William J. Bryan at the 1920 Democrat convention over prohibition and forced from Mr. Bryan the damaging admission that he had been paid by the Anti-Saloon League for some of his speeches. Mr. Bell is dead at 50, killed in a Labor Day or Auto smash. From motor cars to airplanes in Illinois, 24 year old Ben Busher of Niles Center paid Price Hollingsworth, an aviator at Burmeister Flying Field in Evanston, the princely sum of $10 to take him on a Labor Day joyride. Mr. Hollingsworth is the second most experienced flyer in America and has never had an accident. Until today, the plane got into a nosedive which the airman could not straighten out. It hit the ground, burying both men under the wreckage. They were taken to St. Francis Hospital but have yet to recover consciousness. The so-called joy flight is likely to prove fatal for both men. From cars to planes to trains, Peter Rust, a Long Island baker, thought he knew the train schedule as well as anyone. So he ignored the warning bell at the Terry Lane crossing at Greenport and drove his automobile straight ahead. He knew the regular 
schedule, but not the Labour Day specials the Long Island Railroad had put on for the holiday crowds. The engine struck his motorcar, turned it over, and sent the baker's loaves flying all around for several hundred yards. Mr. Rust died as he was being taken to the operating table. Mrs. Rust is in serious condition with a broken skull. We have no bananas, we have no bananas today. Just try those coconuts, those walnuts and donuts. There ain't any nuts like they... Amidst these traditional tales of Labor Day catastrophe, it is good to be able to withdraw one piece of bad news. Mr George O'Keefe has asked the Canadian papers to correct their reports that his motor car ran over Mr P.W. Pransky in Mackenzie Avenue near the famous Chateau Laurier in Ottawa. In fact... His motor car ran over a basket of fruit lying in the road. Mr. Pransky was merely a bystander. Yes, we have no bananas, but nor do we have any mutilated bodies. Don't worry about those squashed fruits. The New York State Department of Farms and Markets is advising housewives to get their kettles ready a few days ahead of schedule because fruits this year are ripening early. Thank goodness for warm weather. There will be enough peach jam for several seasons. Now Jonesy was a married man, oh yes, he was. Sweet girl, on a single plan, I guess he was. Jonesy stopped and spoke to Gurley, just as old friends often do. And he said, I'm married, but that but, my dear, means you. I love, I love, I love my wife, but oh, you kid. For my dear wife, I give my life, but oh, you kid. Now, wifey dear is good to me, a wrong she never did. I love, I love, I love my wife, but oh, you kid. Edward Stewart of Brooklyn is spending this Labor Day in jail because he is a bigamist and his first wife found out about it. The couple were married in July 1914, but separated soon after. The first Mrs. Stewart then heard that he had married again and found proof at Borough Hall that the second wedding had occurred in July 1920. She set about finding him and eventually did so at the corner of Atlantic Avenue and Smith Street. Hello, Ed, she said. Where have you been all these years? I thought you were dead, he replied. Will you just wait here until I call a policeman, said wife number one. Detective Kelly arrested Mr. Stewart and he is being held at the Raymond Street Jail pending $1,500 bail. Oh, you kid. Indeed, on Labour Day especially, two wives sounds like way too much work. I love my donuts and lady fingers, but oh, you cream puff.
Perhaps the strangest news on Labor Day comes out of the small settlement of Olfin in Runnels County, Texas. Father Joseph Miser, the Catholic parish priest, was seized in his home by ten masked men who then proceeded to flog him. His punishers accused him of being anti-American and opposed to public schools. Luther Body, a 22-year-old Negro, was put to death last Thursday at Sing Sing for the murder of two New York detectives in January. Eight months to the day after that double slaying, Mr. Body's funeral brought thousands of black New Yorkers out to the streets of Harlem this Labor Day. At the Colored Methodist Episcopal Church on West 130th Street, hundreds of women wept inconsolably as the Reverend R. R. Wilson told the congregation that Mr. Body's last words to his family had been, go home, I will meet you in the kingdom. I've got the blue, I've got the blue, I've got the alcoholic blue. No more beer, my heart to cheer. Goodbye, whiskey, you used to make me pretty. So long, highball, so long, Jim. Oh, tell me when you're coming back again. You can't get the alcoholic blues if you're dead, and two Brooklyn men are in the morgue following a Labor Day drinking binge. Edward Burke and William Strelish are believed to have been fatally poisoned by the ingesting of wood alcohol. Federal agents posing as longshoremen have raided seven waterfront establishments. In sports news, a strange Labor Day occurrence in eastern Pennsylvania five minutes after he knocked down Elmer Cross, his sparring partner, the boxer Louis Barris dropped dead. He was just 18 years old and his sudden death is being attributed to overexertion. Nevertheless, police have detained Mr. Cross pending a coroner's verdict. Just break the news to Mother, Mother Jones that is, but Mother Jones is too ill to have the news broken to her. These present times of industrial strife are notable for the absence of the acknowledged leader of American labor since the death of her husband and their four children in a yellow fever epidemic in 1867. With no infants to mother, Mother Jones instead became mother to the nation's working men. But she is now very aged and very feeble, and her physicians say she is not even aware of the railwaymen's walkout. And that's the way of the world, Labor Day, 1922. A hundred years from today, a hundred years from today. 
And now, Stein Online presents Mark Stein's Song of the Week. There aren't many songs about labour. That's to say, not just about work, a job, but a song you can feel the sweat and ache in. You can find plenty of work in 9 to 5, what a way to make a living type numbers, but not a lot in which you can feel the writer putting other folks' muscle into it. I was born one morning when the sun didn't shine. I picked up my shovel and I walked to the mine. I loaded 16 tons, a number nine coal, and the straw boss said, Well, to bless my soul, you load 16 tons. What do you get? Another day older and St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go I owe my soul to the company store A sweat-dripping backbreaker of a song that America, at the height of the so-called white bread picket fence squeaky clean Eisenhower era, was cheerily singing along with. It was huge in its day, in a way that the fragmented and shriveled Hot 100 of today can barely imagine. Tennessee Ernie Ford's version was released on October 17th, 1955. Nine days later, it had sold 400,000 copies. By November 10th, it had sold another 600,000 to become the fastest-selling million-seller in pop history, a record it retains to this day. By December 15th, it had racked up 2 million, and as 1955 turned to 56, it was number one for seven weeks before being displaced by Dean Martin's Memories Are Made of This. Who'd have thought there was so much gravy in a sing-along about the unrelenting, grinding misery of coal mining? You load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in depth. St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. When something's that big a hit, it's easy to be dismissive, but in fact it's very deftly done. There's a whole world captured in that line about owing your soul to the company store. In many mining communities, workers lived in company-owned housing, the cost of which was docked from their wages, and what was left was paid in scrip, That's to say, company-issued tokens or vouchers that could only be redeemed for goods at the company store. To the unions who fought and eventually defeated the system, it was a form of bondage in which it was impossible for workers to amass any cash savings. There was no future except the next paycheck to be spent on next week's overpriced necessities at that company store. Against that, it should be said that for most miners, if they needed a bed or a dining table or uh, some such expensive item, uh, the only credit available was script credit, uh, which admittedly used to profligately could easily leave you owing your soul to the company stole in the way one now does to the credit card companies. Whatever the reality, the lines are brilliantly evocative shorthand of what in mid-20th century was still an instantly recognisable way of life. Written almost a decade before Tennessee Ernie Ford struck gold with it, 16 Tons was the work of Merle Travis. You load 16 tons, and what do you get? You get another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. He was a country singer. 
and in the 40s found himself facing what would be a common predicament in a music industry coming to value authenticity, so-called, over Tin Pan Alley professionalism. Uh, In the wake of the success of Burl Ives, of all people, Travis had been asked by Capitol Records to make an album of folk songs. But as he told them, uh, Ives has already sung every folk song. There weren't any left. Unfazed, Capitol's Cliffy Stone told Travis that in that case he should just write his own folk songs, but to go ahead and do it quickly because they wanted to go into the studio the next day. So on one night in August 1946, Merle Travis sat down and wrote three folk songs about Muhlenberg County, Kentucky, where his father had worked in the mines. And one of those songs was this. Now some people say a man's made out of mud, but a poor man's made out of muscle and blood. Muscle and blood, skin and bones, a mind that's weak and a back that's strong. You load 16 tons, and what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. Merle Travis had grown up among coal miners. His father played the banjo Merle took to the guitar. Two other miners, uh, Mose Rager and Ike Everly, father of the eponymous brothers Don and Phil. Uh, Mose Rager and Ike Everly helped Merle improve his technique, teaching him how to use his thumb for the bass strings. By 1935, he was playing with the Tennessee Tomcats, uh, then the Georgia Wildcats, and pretty soon he figured, as few had up to that point, that the guitar could be a lead instrument. He landed that Capitol Records contract and scored big with Divorce Me COD and So Round, So Firm, So Fully Packed. Uh, Travis had a facility for big memorable hooks and so asked to hustle up a handful of folk songs overnight. He figured, why not? He said he remembered a letter his brother had sent him during the war about the death of the great reporter Ernie Pyle in the Pacific. And in the course of his musings, John Travis had sighed, It's like working in the coal mines, another day older and deeper in debt. Merle recalled, too, his father's weary, fatalistic shrug when asked how things were going. I can't afford to die. I owe my soul to the company store. Put those two lines together and you've got half the song. But there's another story told about the birth of 16 tons that it's nothing to do with Merle Travis or John Travis or Pa Travis. If you'd been around WKIZ in Hazard, Kentucky in the early 60s, you'd have run into a fellow called George Davis who told folks that he'd written the song and that Travis had changed a couple of lines and called it his. According to whom he was telling and when, uh, Mr. Davis's song was originally called either 21 tons or 9 to 10 tons. The second is ridiculous. You can't get away with a ballpark figure. You need a precise, explicit number to give you the sense of a back-breaking target racked up painfully pound by pound. As for 21 tons, that sounds more like the British singer Max Bygrave's gleeful parody... 17 tons. Some people say your woman's made of sugar so sweet. But my wife's made out of muscle of meat. Muscle of meat. Skin and fat like a tube. 
simplest tire She never goes flat, she weighs 17 tons And what do I get? Another food bill and deeper in debt Don't invite me out, brother I can't go I owe my soul to the grocery store We met last summer at a seaside resort There were girls much thinner but she was a sport I went to the beach with this hefty maid I didn't get sunburned, I stayed in her shade Seventeen times There were a lot of those about at the time Spike Jones did 16 tacos uh, as for George Davis's claim to have written it, in November 1966, someone at WKIZ in Kentucky recorded the so-called original. Uh, obviously, decades after Davis quote-unquote composed it, so it doesn't prove anything one way or another, uh, but it does come over as a bad cover version by someone not fully on top of the lyrics. I loaded 16 tons to try to get ahead Got deeper and deeper in debt instead Well, they got what I made and they wanted some more And now I owe my soul at the company store That's certainly inferior to Mel Travis's version. Does that mean it must be the original? Written as Davis claimed back in the 30s and merely buffed a little in 1946? There's no supporting evidence for the aggrieved man's claim, although uh, there is a long tradition of rough and ready, fragmentary vernacular work songs eventually being neatened and organised into a finished version by professional songwriters. Or it could be that, as all hit-making composers and lyricists well know, failure is an orphan, but success has a hundred fathers, and a successful song, a hundred paternity suits. Uh, but there's something a little too pat, uh, I think, in a song about getting ripped off by the mining company, itself getting ripped off by the record company. Either way, uh, in this case, success was a long time a-coming for the song, until one day in 1955, with nary a thought, Tennessee Ernie Ford sang it on his daily NBC daytime show. He'd heard it when he'd worked with Merle Travis on Cliffy Stone's Hometown Jamboree, and he'd always liked it. And within five days of his casual exhumation of the song, NBC had received... 1,200 letters from viewers demanding to know what it was and where they could get it. Uh, so a few weeks later, Tennessee Ernie sang it again live at the Indiana State Fair and 30,000 fairgoers roared their approval. What with the Daily TV show, Ford's record career had suffered from lack of attention. Uh, in September that year, Capital sent him a formal letter warning him of a breach of contract suit unless he cut two sides for an instant single. So he hurried into the studio and did a lively country blues for the A-side, You Don't Have to Be a Baby to Cry, and more or less as a filler track, offered 16 tons for the B-side. Who knows what makes a hit? To set the tempo for his six-piece band, Ford, as he often did, began snapping his fingers. And the producer, Lee Gillette, buzzed through from the control room. Leave that in! So they did. If you see me coming, better step aside. A lot of men didn't, a lot of men died. One fist of iron, 
the other of steel If the right one don't get you, then the left one will You load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go I owe my soul to the company store. And maybe it was the finger snaps or Ford's voice or the plaintive instrumental echo of the final line after every chorus. Or maybe it was the combination. But for whatever reason, it's one of those occasions where the record transforms the song. An ordinary pseudo-folk verse and chorus number had been enlarged into something big, bold and emblematic. His big low growl is just right. Man enough to sound like a guy tough enough to work in a mine and thereby to underline the sense of diminishment of a big man rendered small by his economic circumstance. Merle Travis certainly understood. In later years, he would always end the song this way. I owe my soul to Tennessee Ernie Ford. But Ernie owed Merle too. Here they are together, two decades after the former made the latter's song one for the ages. Hey, y'all can snap with me. Come on. Everybody snap. Yeah. You snapping, Grandpa? Uh, not like I used to. <laughs> <laughs> what am I life on that? I was born one morning, it was drizzling rain. Fighting and trouble, my middle name. Raised in the cane break by an old mama line. No high-toned woman make me walk the line. You load 16 tons, and what are you getting? Another day older. St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go I owe my soul to the company store Merle, I like this last verse If you see me coming, better step aside A lot of men didn't, a lot of men died One fist of iron, the other of steel The right one don't get you, then the left one will You load 16 tons Father, you get another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go. I owe my soul. Mmm, you could spread that on a Martha White biscuit. <laughs> Mark Stein's Last Call. There are two theories regarding the father of Labor Day in America, both according the title to a man named Maguire, both of which Maguires were sons of Irish immigrants. One Maguire was Matthew Maguire, Secretary of the Central Labor Union in New York and intimately involved 
with planning for the first Labor Day parade in that city in 1882. The other Maguire was the aforementioned P.J. Maguire, who was the first to propose a, quote, general holiday for the labouring classes. I incline more to the latter Maguire, the founder of the United Brotherhood of Carpenters and Joiners, but a man who eventually fell out with his union comrades and died a broken man in 1906, just four years after resigning as general secretary. He was 53, but work and booze and union activism and more booze had put decades on him. In his final speech to the Union Convention of 1902, he used a memorable phrase to explain his ill health. A man wears out like a piece of machinery. I think almost any American of 1902, whether factory worker or farmer, would have recognized the truth in that line. Today, the men who make our machinery live elsewhere, in China, in India, Indonesia. We do not think of them. And if we did, our sense of them would be hazy. They are no longer our friends and neighbours, but a distant, anonymous mass, the rhythms of whose lives, the customs and social habits are unknown and in their details unimaginable, except that somewhere among them, at least in China, are the child labour and slave labour that men like P.J. Maguire helped end in America. And really, Our machinery no longer wears out, does it? We trade in one device for another because those faraway labourers in distant lands have added some delightful new trick to the contraption that we simply can't live without. In 2011, I wrote in my book After America, quote, Once upon a time, millions of Americans worked on farms. Then, as agriculture declined, they moved into the factories. When manufacturing was outsourced, they settled into low-paying service jobs or better-paying cubicle jobs, so-called professional services, often deriving from the ever-swelling accounting and legal administration that now attends almost any activity in America. What comes next? Or more to the point, what if there is no next? After a life of labour, said P.J. Maguire, a man wears out like a piece of machinery. Conversely, in a world after labour, entire societies can rust up like last decade's forgotten smartphone. Stay safe. Stay free. Join us next time for another edition of The Mark Stein Show. The Mark Stein Show is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media.
All rights reserved.